Hi, this is Fostered Hope, and I'm your host, Jordan Huffman. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Gina Huffman, my mother, the woman who raised me, about our family's experience with the foster care system, and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. So today, I'm here with my mom. Say hi, mom. Hi. So to start off, tell me your name, uh, what you do for work, a little bit of background on yourself. Okay, my name is Gina Huffman, and I work for the federal government. Um, I work for an agency in, uh, that's part of the Department of the Treasury, and um, it's called the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. I'm an assistant chief information officer, so in the RIT shop, I am over our budget and acquisitions. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into fostering in the first place? Um, Yes, and I always tell people that it was actually you who got us into fostering because when you were, I think, around nine years old, we went to Walmart, and when we were pulling into the parking lot, you looked up at a billboard and said, Mom, what's that? And I looked up at the billboard, and it was advertising a foster care agency called Try Again Homes that is here in our area. And so I explained to you um, that there are children in this world who don't have a very good home life. Um, Sometimes really bad things happen to them. Sometimes the parents just aren't able to care for them for whatever reason. And so they get taken out of the home and and given to this agency who then finds them people to live with while the parents are trying to get their act together in order to get the children back. So then after I told you about that, probably just every little bit you would ask me when were we going to go talk to the people about helping these kids. And I put you off for a good while, maybe almost two years probably. And um, one day I realized that you're, you were playing travel soccer at that time and your head coach of the team um, was, I realized that he was the psychiatrist at Trigon Homes, the foster care agency that you'd asked about. And I thought, well, this is a sign. So I told him that. I said, well, we might need to come talk to you one of these days. My daughter's been asking me to for a long time. Um, And he said, well, I'd be happy to talk to you. So come whenever you want and I'll tell you what I can. So not, I don't know how long later, not very long later, uh, we made an appointment and we went in and started um, talking to them. And then we took the training and got into the foster care system eventually. That's right. We did. So can you talk a little bit about how you had me? So our family is pretty unique because um, when I was 31, 32, somewhere in there, I had a friend whose sister had had children very young and had gotten them taken away from her because she wasn't caring for them appropriately. And uh, at the time, she had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a five-month-old. And my friend ended up because she was these kids' aunt, she ended up getting the two younger ones for a little while. And I ended up uh, helping take care of them while she had them. It was only about a two-month period of time, but it showed me kind of how the system was and how the kids aren't really protected and uh, made me really sad when the kids, they ended up being given back to their dad who really hadn't had anything to do with them up to that point. And I didn't think they were going to have a very good life. 
And once that happened, I started thinking about how much I wanted to be a mom, but I wasn't seeing anyone seriously and I didn't really have any prospects. And so I started talking to my uh, doctor about possibly uh, having a baby through artificial insemination. So, you know, told my family about it. It was pretty hard on them. They didn't understand at the time. I, you know, thought it might not be a great thing, but they support me, supported me. And so I started going through the process of trying to um, get pregnant through artificial insemination and um, took a little over a year. It was really only about five times uh, that I actually attempted it. Um, and on that last time, I thought if if this time doesn't work, then it just isn't meant to be for me to, you know, have a baby and be a mother that way. But on that last time, I actually got pregnant and I had you. I had you for 12 years, just me and you. And uh, of course, our family and all the people that are associated with us. Um, but uh, then when you were 12, quit being an only child and we took in Nathan and Kimmy, became a family of four. Will you talk a little bit about how Kimmy and Nathan came to be in our house? Yes. The first foster kids that I that we got, they were a two-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl and they were brother and sister and they had been removed from their home for suspected um, sexual abuse and they... We only had them for two days, and the first night the little girl cried the entire night and said she was scared and she wanted to go home, and the little boy, I don't know if he ever really said a word. Um, they were super cute kids, and on the third day, um, the judge overruled the removal and sent them home, and I was at work, and Jordan was at school, and I got a call that they were coming to get them and we had to, I had to meet them at the daycare and bring all their stuff and they were taking them, taking them back home. And they said that was highly unusual that that they'd hardly ever seen anything like that happen. And so when I, I came to your school and got you and took you over to the daycare so you could say goodbye to them. And when I took you back to school, you were sobbing and as I pulled out of the parking lot after dropping you off back at school, I got a call from the foster care agency saying they had these kids, a two and a half year old little boy and a almost six year old little girl. And would I be interested in taking them? And I said, I just dropped my daughter off uh, after giving back the two that we just had for two days and she's sobbing. And I said, I need to go home tonight and talk with her and, you know, see if this is really what we want to do. So I said, so if you can find somewhere else for them, that probably be best. So you and I did talk and we decided, of course, we would try to have other kids. Well, I traveled for work some at that time. And the next time I got a call, I think the next time I got a call, I don't know if I remember the events exactly right. They wanted me to take three kids under the age of two. I think there was like a five month old, a one and so my month old and a two two year old. I said, look, I don't even have a car big enough for that many car seats, nor do I have room in the house for that many cribs. I said I can't, you know, handle that many kids. Did we still have the Honda Civic? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So I told him no on that. And then I was in DC for work and I got a call and they asked me again about Kimmy and Nate. The, this little two and a half year old little boy and six-year-old little girl and or almost six-year-old little girl I thought that time it was just Nathan or was this before that no I this was they, they called a third time and that's when I finally took them oh. 
But the second time I was in DC and I said, well, I won't get back till Friday. And this was towards the beginning of the week. And they said, well, we'll see if we can find somewhere else. And they, they found another placement for them. So then I don't know how much time passed me in another week, two weeks. I don't know. And I got a call again. And this time they said, would you take a two and a half year old little boy? Now, in one of the other times that they'd asked me about Kimmy and Nate, they had told me their story. And so when, when they asked me for a two and a half year old little boy, I immediately was like, yeah, definitely. I will definitely, because I was thinking one kid, that's awesome. That's better. And um, when they started telling me this little boy's story, it was Kimmy and Nate. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, isn't this the same two kids you've called me about before? Yeah. I'm like, well, why are you only asking me to take him? Why not both of them? They're like, well, we haven't been able to keep him in a placement. We just thought it'd be better if we, you know, split them for right now. And their story, I don't know if you want me to tell their story now or not, but because of their story, I said no. I said I would, you know, take them both. I don't know exactly what day that was, but I know that when we got them, they brought them to a ball game of yours. And I had to leave the ball game and go out to the parking lot and get their stuff and put it in the car and then bring them into the ball game. I remember that so vividly. I remember me and Kinsey, I don't know if we had started our game yet. I don't think so. I think we were waiting to start our game. I think you were because I think you were so excited about. I was, yeah. So Kinsey and I, I remember you telling me or someone telling me that they were coming and we like ran outside Mm -hmm. and like went and met them. And then like the whole game, I was like, oh, I just want to go hang out with them. (laughs) But that was March 1st, too, Mm -hmm. 2013. Yeah. Trigger warning for this next part of the episode. My mom is going to go into some graphic detail about my sibling's situation before they came to live with us. So if you are sensitive to abuse, neglect, violence, please skip ahead about three to four minutes. So the story of the little ones that we now have that are part of our family, they are biological brother and sister. Their parents married very young and had children young. They had Kimmy first and then they had a little boy named Devin and then they had Nathan. When Kimmy was five and a half or thereabouts, Devin would have been three and Nathan would have been probably just turned two. And mom and dad by this point had divorced and mom was living with a man named Matt Lamp, and they were boyfriend and girlfriend living in a trailer. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but later found out when I got the court papers and all the stuff about, you know, their removal, um, when we were going to actually adopt them, they were living in horrible, horrible conditions. The trailer didn't have any electricity or running water. The toilets were overflowing with waste, feces, pee. There were dirty diapers everywhere because Nathan wasn't potty trained yet. And mom had left to go somewhere. I never did find out where she was, why she was gone, but she had left the boyfriend in charge of the kids. And while he was, while she was gone, something happened and he beat the middle child, Devin, who was three. He beat him. What I understand is he banged his head off of a countertop several times and Kimmy was trying to stop him from hurting her brother. I assume the little boy was unconscious and he put him in his bed. And when mom came home, they talked about it and they didn't take him immediately to get medical attention because they were afraid CPS would take um, their other two children. And so they waited something like 18 hours before they ever took Devin to the hospital when they finally took him. 
they life flighted him immediately to Morgantown, West Virginia, where there's a hospital called Ruby Memorial, and they he was on life support, and they said that his injuries, his brain had swelled to the point that it would be like equivalent to a fall from a third-story building, from three stories up. Two days later, they took him off life support, and he died, and he was, I'm sure, brain dead at that point when they got him there. And Kimmy, they took her to the police station, and the police called one of the caseworkers at Trigon Homes to, because they'd been connected with them already, and to try to talk with her because she wasn't making any sense at all. And she was, she was talking about little green men and just like, I think I've always thought that she suffered a psychotic break that night, Kimmy did, because she loved her brother so much. And she, I think she was kind of like the little mom. I think she, even at age five, was the one who tried to look out for them and take care of them because they weren't getting what they were supposed to get from the adults in their lives. Of course, they got removed from the mom's care, and eventually dad got them. Dad was living in Huntington, but he came back here, and his mom lived here, and they lived with him and his mom in her house. And what the kids would tell me is that when they were, that granny just sat in a chair all the time and smoked cigarettes and watched TV and that's what they really remembered of her at the time that I got them. So the reason they got taken away from dad and grandma was CPS found out somehow he was letting the mother come and see them and she was not supposed to have any contact with them. And when they found that out, they came and removed them from him. And that's when they went to two or three other places before they came to us. Right. I remembered a lot of those details, but not, you know, not every single one. So. Right. Well, you were only 12. Right. Uh I wish we would have been able to meet Devin because he looked, I'm pretty sure the one picture I saw of him, he looked just like Nathan. I know. They all, those, all three of the kids, um, we do have pictures. Um, I was able to find mom and dad, the biological mom and dad on Facebook. And so for the longest time, I would kind of keep up with them. But now when I look for them, they haven't posted in forever or their accounts are inactive. And so I don't have any idea where they are now. Yeah. Um, but yes, they very much all look alike. And uh, you're you're right. I thought that. I mean, if I ever showed Nathan the picture of Devin, I think he would think it's him. Right. You know. Yeah. What was the transition like from having one biological child to then essentially raising three? So I'll never forget your nanny, um, my mom, saying are you sure you want to do this? It's not, you know, you're, you're going to change your whole life. I mean, you know, and you and I, we had a really, really good, really easy life. And that's not a joke. I mean, you are almost the perfect child and we just were doing great and life was good and it was easy and, you know, but I am always, as you know, I'm major type A and been successful at most of what I've done, which sounds like bragging, but it's just, it just is. And I thought, man, I'll be, how hard can it be, right? But it was, oh my goodness, um, so much more than I ever dreamed it would be. So did it change our dynamic? Did it change our life drastically? Yes, absolutely. You know, the thing you don't think about is, now, let me back up to say, when you know when you foster kids, you get to say the age you want, you get to say what you're willing to take on. Like, if you don't want children who have been sexually abused, you can say that. If you don't want kids who 
are a certain age or have certain issues, you can say that. Um, if you only want one or if you only want a child that is able to be adopted and you don't want kids that might have a chance to go back to their parents, you can say all those things. You really can get to say what you really are able or want to do. So I had said I wanted kids four years old or less because I knew already that your personality and who you are is basically set by age five. And so I wanted to be able to, you know, mold and shape the kids that I had. And, but Kimmy was almost six. And, but I felt so horrible about her losing her brother. And I thought she shouldn't lose another brother. Right. And so I wanted to keep them together. When kids don't get the right start in life, when those formative years up to age five, when they don't get the things that they're supposed to get from the adults in their lives, and by that I mean love, first of all, safety, security, care, attention to their basic needs, bonding, when they don't get all those things, I would never have understood until I got these kids how drastically that changes a child. And Kimmy by that point, she was almost six and she was who she was going to be. And she didn't get any of those things that you're supposed to get in your formative years. And so she has what's called reactive attachment disorder, which is she really doesn't know how to love other people. Um, she loves Kimmy and she will always take care of herself and make sure her needs are met, but she doesn't really know how to love the way other people love. And so it's super sad, but it is what it is. And that has probably been the biggest challenge and the hardest thing to deal with. But then there was Nathan who, he had been neglected so severely. He couldn't talk. He was two and a half. He was still in pampers, which some boys are still in, you know, haven't gotten potty trained by that point. So that wasn't huge, but he could hardly say any words. And um, he would try to, he'd want to be telling us something and he'd just scream his head off because he couldn't make us understand what he wanted. And I'll never forget, I don't know if you remember this, but not long after we got him, we um, went to Morgantown to watch that basketball game. Yeah. And we took him with us, right? Because we had him. And we went out to eat beforehand. And the waitress came to our table and said, okay, and what will they have? And I just looked at him and then I looked at her and I was like, um, I don't know. And then I tried to ask them, like, what do you want to eat? Well, they didn't know. And I didn't know because I didn't know them. Now I can guess, like, what they're going to choose or where how they're going to react to something. Or, of course, because now I know them after nine and a half years, right? But for the longest time, I didn't. I didn't know. And Kimmy was pretty articulate. I don't know if you remember this. She could talk. Do you remember? I remember she was a talker. Right. And so when she was like that, you thought that she was very... Like you think intelligence gets it with it. That is not the case, right? So learning her issues and trying to understand how to deal with that and trying to get Nathan, we got him into birth to three really quickly. Luckily, we knew, knew Nikki Hogan, who was in that program, speech therapist, and um, she worked with them. Other people worked with them, and um, he, he caught on and, and progressed pretty quickly. And luckily, he bonded with me. Right, so he got the things that Kimmy didn't get. Not the first two and a half years of his life, but the next two and a half plus, of course, all the other time. Mm -hmm. So he's he's gotten a different, he has different abilities and, and he has a better stable footing than she got, I guess, to start out with. But yes, it was very, very hard. 
and I'm going to talk a little bit about Marissa, if it's okay, because, That's fine. okay, so we got them March 1st, 2013, and six months later, on September 5th, is when Marissa, which was your best friend, who was 12 years old, died on the soccer field, basically, right in front of all of us. And I was already struggling somewhat to, you know, get a handle on this and do this the right way. And and then when she passed and, you know, she was with us a lot, I loved her a lot and you loved her like nobody else. And trying to then help you go through that and help just me go through that and then being worried about her family. And that just added so much to that whole thing. So those first few years and, and then the first I think it took us almost close to two years to be able to adopt them, really adopt them. And so the whole not knowing if we're going to keep them, what was going to happen. I mean, it was, it's definitely a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Marissa, I remember when we got them until when she passed, she loved them. Oh, she loved them. Yeah. Every time she was over, I have a picture of her and Nathan on my laptop actually like every time my laptop like starts to idle like pictures will come up and it's her and Nathan's on her back mm-hmm. I remember yeah but she would always remember those balls she bought them yeah those, those and then the day that the day that she passed was the day that I put an offer in on this house and I was so excited to tell her at the end of practice I know I remember that we were going to be close so much closer to her you know I know, I think I had told her during practice, like somewhat, you know. Yeah. I think I was like, oh, I can't wait to show you. Like, we're going to be so much closer now because we lived out like definitely 30. Yeah, it was a good 40 minutes from her, really. I mean, you could probably make it in 30, but it was, they lived on the opposite end of everything from us. Um, Right. Um, Okay. Do you just want to walk me through our experience or your experience from, you don't have to go into like, you know, specific detail, but like just your experience as a whole with like fostering up until like adoption. Yeah. So we didn't have the typical foster experience because I think a lot of times you foster quite a few kids and they come and go. So we never had that. I mean, we had those two kids for two days. And of course, we didn't get to know them really. And we were sad that we thought they were going back into probably a not good situation. But, you know, we didn't get like really connected to them. Like, and so then we had Nathan and Kimmy and after about a year, their mom's rights got terminated because she would never admit that the boyfriend had hurt Devin, basically killed him. And she took up for the boyfriend, didn't protect her children, didn't side with her children. So, and she was using, she was smoking marijuana and what, whatever. I don't even know what all. And so they finally terminated her rights as a parent, but then dad was still involved. And so during the time that mom and dad were involved, you know, I cannot remember anymore if it was like every week. I don't know if you remember how often they went to visit. feels like it was pretty frequent, but maybe it was every other week. I don't remember. But they would get picked up by one of the workers and they'd take them wherever to have this visit. And Nathan was, he was sick a lot when he was little, like with uh, congestion. And I think he was allergic to their cigarette smoke. And every time they'd go to a visit and come back, I would have to get, um, I had a nebulizer and that's, and I would have to give him breathing treatments because he would get so, remember that? I remember that. Yeah. And, um, and he was also car sick. He would throw up in the car all the dang time. You remember that? I remember that too. Yeah. It was so good. Um, and lots of times we would be heading out to one of your tournaments somewhere and we wouldn't even get out of town. I'd have to call mom to come get him. You remember? Cause he'd throw up. Yeah. And okay. we couldn't take him. 
Um, anyway, so then after a while, oddly enough, I would be able to go pick them up from a visit. So I met the mom and dad, and I think that wasn't necessarily usual. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I remember seeing her one time. I don't think I spoke to her, but I remember seeing her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they would come and put them in my car and I would try to talk to them nice and stuff. And they would always be nice to me because they, they really always thought that they would get their kids back. I mean, they just, like the mom said to me more than once, thank you for taking care of our kids while we're getting things together, you know, so we can get them back. I mean, she would say that. The hard part about all that, I mean, fostering, like if someone asked me and people have asked me, would you, what would you recommend? Like, would you say I should foster or, and for me, if you want to help children and you go into it with that's your goal and you understand that the system is not about you. It is not about the children that you're trying to help. It is going to protect these parents who many of them are really not good people. They don't put their children first. They never will. Right. But it still is really get geared towards reuniting these kids with these parents who shouldn't have their kids really and so if you understand that and you know that basically they're going to hand you these kids and then you have them and that's it they don't there's not a lot of help that you get as a foster parent but there's a lot of garbage in my opinion that you go through Mm -hmm. because they're trying to get these parents to do the right thing get their kids back for that for for example one time I canceled a visit because we needed to go do something or whatever. And they had canceled all the time. They would cancel quite often. And so I just decided on this one time, I'm not going to make us miss this to go to this visit. Right. So we're just not going to do it. So I canceled. Well, I'm coming back from DC one time for work and I get a call from this really young caseworker that I had. And she's like, I just wanted to tell you, we're going to come pick the kids up. Now we'd had them for a long time. I mean, they, our home was their home. And I remember being panicked, like almost immediately crying, but I didn't, but I was like, what? Well, yeah, you missed that visit and this and that. They had these. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, this is the first placement that these kids have ever truly had a home, a safe home, a home where they're cared for, They have clean clothes. They have food every time they need it. They go to their medical visits. They get their, you know, everything, all their basic needs met plus more. And they are safe and they're happy. And you're going to take them because I missed a visit. Well, she named off. I don't remember anymore the things that supposedly they were. But I said, I'll fight you. I said, I'll get a lawyer and I'll fight you all. So do what you got to do, but I'm going to do what I got to do. And I immediately got a phone. I was bawling. And um, I called. Wait, pardon wait, me. Wait, 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 wait. They were going to take them to a visit or they were going to take them away from us? They were going to take them away from us, <gasps> put them in another home. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever tell me about that? I don't remember. I don't think you did because I think I would remember that. I probably probably thought you didn't need to know. Um, oh, my goodness. But I immediately called Tim. Remember Tim Hainer? Yeah, I do. What uh, The case were. I called him and I said, and he's like, well, there's nothing we can do. I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing we can do? Well, Gina, if they want to take him, they're going to take him. I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? I said, what are you talking about? I said, I'll get a lawyer. I said, they're not taking these kids. I called all over the place. I don't remember who all I called, but then they called me back and said, okay, we've decided not to remove them. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I don't, there were more things. I can't remember all the things they, you know, the one thing about fostering is there are all these rules that you as the foster parent have to abide by. And the, some of them are pretty difficult to abide by because, you know, you're just trying to live and teach these kids and do with the kids the same way you do your own children, right? And you also have your own kids and you have your own life and you have obligations that you have to take care of. And so trying to juggle all that the foster system demands of you while you have them is it is it is not easy, right? So I guess the other piece of advice I would give is to really ask a lot of questions and fully understand what your responsibilities will be as a foster parent, right? Yeah, that's it. So so they didn't take them, but then and and we were still taking them to the visits with dad and now cuz mom's out of the picture now. And then dad's not really doing what he needs to do to get them back, but the judge keeps giving him chances and I kept being really annoyed every time we'd go to court and he'd get another chance and I'd be like, "My goodness, what the heck?" And on the last one, he checked himself into a, a residential alcohol and drug treatment facility that we have here in town, which up until that point, I didn't even know we had such a place. But when he did that, I remember saying to the caseworker, oh my goodness, he's going to do just enough for the judge to give these kids back. And that will be the worst thing for these kids to go back to him, right? right. She said, Gina, he'll never make it. She said, if he makes it a week, I'll be surprised. He didn't even make it two days. He made it a day and a half. And on that second day, he called Charlotte. You remember Charlotte that used to come get the kids? You didn't like her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't really love her either. He called her and he was sobbing, just sobbing and said, I can't do this. I'm going to sign my parental rights over, but I want Gina to keep them because I can see a difference in them since she's had them. I know they're getting the love they need and the love I can't give them. He said, I was never loved that way. I don't know how to love my kids the way they're supposed to be loved. So I admired him for that, but I also had a second thought, which was he couldn't get off the drugs. Right. Right. He couldn't stay away from them long enough to try to get clean and do what he could. But I also know that he and the mom came from cycle after cycle, generation after generation of that kind of people, people who did drugs, were sexually abused, had terrible home lives. So he did the right thing for them. And I often think of him and feel bad that he doesn't know how Kimmy and Nate are. But I'm afraid to ever open that door. Right. So I don't right now. Now, I always wonder if Kimmy will want to try to track them down when she's older. I don't think Nathan will, but you never know. He's only 12. He's got a long way to go, right? So... But uh, they never talk about their parents. He never does, and she never does anymore either. I know. So have you thought about that? Like if one day one either Kimmy or Nathan asks you like about their parents again, like would you know what would you do? Well, like Kimmy used to ask me a lot, right? Talk about them. Right. And I would say when she was younger, I would say, listen, your parents had some troubles, and they went to to the court, and the judge said they needed to do some things in order to get you guys back. And they weren't able to do those things. Right. And so the judge finally decided that it just wasn't good for you all to be with them right now and that you that's how you came to be with us. Right. Um, now, even later, when Kimmy was still young and would still ask about them, she realized 
that her life was way better with us. Yeah. Because the school would tell me, you know, she was at uh, McKinley then. Mm -hmm. uh, the school would tell me that when she came, when she was still with dad, that she would come in and she was always real dirty. And her clothes were real dirty and her hair was never um, combed or anything. And that she would just stomp down the hall with her head down and she'd be real mad. And um, that <laughs> she would, sometimes they would take her coat off of her and take it downstairs. They had a washing, washer and dryer in their school. And they would wash it because they said that she must have eaten in her coat because she would have syrup all over it. And that what they would do is just turn it inside out and put the syrup against her body. And so it was clean on the outside, I guess, or something. So they, but then what, the reason they told me that story was they were telling me how different she was at school, that she was happy and she had her head up and she was smiling and so different from you know, yeah. after a while. I mean, it wasn't immediate or anything. Well, actually, so we got her, we got them in March. So they would have gone to school March, April, and May. Um, so they must have still gone to school for three months that first year when she was in kindergarten. Yeah. And of course, Nathan wasn't in school. He went to daycare. But then the next year, she went to first grade. But um, so, yeah, and she would ask about her brother a lot when we first got her. Uh, she would say, when am I going to get to see Devin again? And I would say, well, honey, you're not. Devin went to be with God and Jesus. Well, who's God and Jesus? And where's that? Where's heaven? And I said, well, so then trying to teach a child that doesn't know anything about God and Jesus who they are and where heaven is. was, And then she would still say, when is he going to come back down here so I can play with him? Or can I go see him? So she did talk about him a lot for a long time. And I have never... Like, I feel a little guilty about this, but I have that. Remember when their parents made them a picture frame and put their picture in it? Do you remember that? Vaguely. Because I used to have them up in their room beside their beds, right? Yeah. But then I eventually put them away. And, what was um, it of? It was it of just Kimmy and Nathan or like Kimmy and Nathan? It was of Nathan? mom and dad. I think oh. it was either of all of them together. It might have been on one of their visits. Because even on their Facebook accounts, the pictures that they would have of them would be of when they would, after we had them. Right. And they would go on visits. That was the pictures that they would post. Right. So, so, but I made a choice at some point, and I don't know when it was, to stop, to kind of try to go away from really talking much about the mom and dad or the brother. Like, I would, if she would bring it up, I would never say, let's not talk about that. I would talk about it with her, but I wanted it to try to just, because I knew they weren't going to be a part of their lives, right? And I wanted it to just kind of go away, really, for their sakes. And so it has. And um, like I say, even if Kimmy would tell the story, because when she meets someone new, I think even still she does this. If she thinks the person's going to give her sympathy, she tells the story about her brother. But she doesn't tell it right anymore. She doesn't remember it right. She thinks her dad was the one. She still does that? Uh, I think, well, it's been a long time since she's done that with someone. But remember the little girl she made friends with back here? A street over and the one that she would go to their house whenever she ran away. Um, yeah, she told her. and But she told her that the dad, her dad had, you know, but that's not right. right? He was nowhere around there. I don't know if I ever knew that. Yeah, yep. Interesting. So I've been asking people that I've been interviewing 
that have been foster parents was adoption the plan all along so i mean like i obviously kind of know but so i don't know we'll see if this is your remembrance or your what your answer would you would think the answer would be i don't think i actually went into it with adoption in mind and i think if that was my thought uh, or our thought mm-hmm. um it would have been a baby and a and a young baby um that i could raise from infancy so even when dad so i had just been talking to you right and i had also talked to the caseworker tim about i didn't know if i wanted to adopt these kids because it was very difficult and our lives had changed so much and i was tired and i didn't know if i could do it and didn't know if i should do it um the biggest thing i didn't know if i should do it was you know both of these kids needed needed a lot right and i wasn't sure that a single parent home where I already had you and what, you know, you were into everything and we were always busy. And if that was the best thing for them, like, should they have a two parent home where they could have more one-on-one attention, you know, that I could never give because I was always taking care of all three of you. And so I had asked him, I mean, I talked to you about, I wasn't sure I could do this. And you from the get-go, you were always like, you know, we have to adopt them. I mean, like there was no question for you. And I asked him one time when he came, because he was saying something about us taking them, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I remember him being surprised, like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I said, can we talk about what would happen if I don't adopt them? And so he said, well, yeah. I said, well, what would that look like? And he said, well, we would look for a family who wanted more than one child and that was, you know, these, this age range was fine with them. And it wouldn't be in the state of West Virginia because we already know we don't have anyone that wants this situation. So we'd have to look out of state. And he said, and when we found a family, they would come here and meet the kids. And I don't remember anymore if it was just been a day visit or a weekend visit. I don't remember that. But then if that went well, then they would come back and the kids would see them for a weekend. And again, can't remember if it was that they would have them here or they'd take them home with them or what. But then the kids would go and stay with them for a week. And if that went well, then they would go to them. And I remember saying, so less than 10 days of being together and they would leave our home and go there. I said, okay, Uh, then what? Well, then they have six months to decide to keep them. And if they don't want them within that six months, I said, then what? I said, they'd come back here? Oh, no, they'll never come back to you. I said, what? Yeah, they'll never come back to you. That's not how it works. We'll just keep trying to find them another home. And we knew another, we've gotten to know some of the foster people because when I would need like what's called a respite, which is if you were going out of town, like if we were going out of town for one of your tournaments and I just decided that I wanted some time with you and I wanted them to not come with us and our family couldn't help me. Every once in a blue moon, they'd go to a respite. It wasn't very often that they did that. But so I gotten to know a family right back here, not very far away from where we live right now that was fostering. And one of their kids that they fostered bounced through, they never did find a home. They were just ended up in a group home. And I thought that'll be Kimmy because she's so hard and no one will want to deal with her. And so, you know, I thought about that a lot. 
And then we got that call. I don't know if you remember, it was just me and you, and we were going to one of your soccer tournaments somewhere over in Ohio. And so we got a call from Charlotte, and that's when she told us that he had said, the dad had said, I can't do this, and I want Gina to have him. And I remember hanging up from her, and we both, I think we were both crying, or at least, you know, we had tears. And I remember saying, now what? And you, was like, you, let, you said, what do you mean now what? Of course we have to keep him. And I'm like, yeah, we have to keep him. I think I probably always knew, right? that we were going to keep them, but I just really, and I still have wondered, honestly, I said this to Robin the other day when we were walking, I said, I think I've been good for Kimmy and not good for Kimmy. And she said, I'd agree with that because you know better than anyone. And I'm never going to sugarcoat it. I'm not. When I look back on our journey and I think any parent is like this, but I wish I could do things differently, especially with Kimmy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I think I did the best I could, but I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I, I just, I love her and I want the best for her, but she has been hard and she still is sometimes, but much better. I mean, we're, she and I together are in a much better place than we ever used to be. And, and life is good, I think. I mean, and I, I really truly believe that both Nathan and Kimmy have a chance to be whatever they want in this life. Um, I don't know that Kimmy will take it because she tends to and, and teachers will say this about her, so it's not just me. If something's hard, she just wants to quit, right? right. She, she wants someone else to do it for her. She doesn't want to work at it. So I'm not really sure what her, like where she'll go and things, but I push her pretty hard. And maybe that's why God gave her to me, because I'm not like that at all. And I know she has more in her, right? I know she can do things. And I push her till she's mad at me and things, but she eventually gets it. And then I'm always like, Okay, see, you can do this, right? Yeah, I can do it. It's okay. Yeah, I think Kimmy and I are a lot alike in that way. Yeah. Not in the way that, like, I mean, yeah, when a, a lot of times when things are hard off the bat, I don't want to do them. Right. At all. Right. I hate not being good at stuff right off, right off the bat because I normally am. Mm-hmm. At least mediocrely good. Mm-hmm. But I normally will follow through. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's life. I mean, life is... You know, I always have told you this, and I'll tell you, you'll probably get tired of hearing it or probably are tired of hearing it, but really life is about work. Mm-hmm. It is about problems. It is about overcoming obstacles every day. And, you know, there are very good times in life too, and we're very blessed, so blessed really. And But we tend not to really focus on the blessings. We tend to focus on the things that are hard for us or negative. It's... uh I don't know why we do that, but humans do that. But if we could really keep our focus on how good we have it and how much God has given us, like I've always said for you, you're one of the most gifted people I've ever known. I mean, so many gifts and so many different gifts. Um, and you can do anything you want to do. And and I think, I think Kimmy's got her gifts too. I always tell her that because, you know, she would tell me, but, you know, she basically thought she was going to do exactly what you did. Right. And go to Harding and do da da And I will, I would say, look, if that's your path and you can do that, we'll absolutely figure that out. Right. Right. I said, but if it's not your path, because everyone's path is not the same, college might not be what you do. Right. And so, you know, she's understanding that. And that's the thing that I suppose makes me the most mad about 
the people who had Kimmy and Nate and, and other people like them, mm-hmm. how they just destroy a child. I mean, Kimmy's life will never be what it could have been. And that's from the womb, right? Mm-hmm. Because she ingested things she shouldn't have. Um, so Kimmy's mind does not work the way it needs to. It's not quick. It doesn't process, right? Right. Well, now I'm mostly focused on her, but I want to talk a little bit about Nathan. So Nathan brought different challenges, but his thing is, like, I knew he was, Kimmy got on ADHD medicine in first grade, towards the end of first grade, I think. And it was because she wasn't able to learn to read. She wasn't able to, to really process things. And one of their t- her teachers said, have you ever thought about putting her on ADHD meds? And I said, no, she's not hyper. And they're like, well, it helps their mind to focus and to like stay on track. And I'm like, oh, I said, well, heck yeah, let's try that then. And we did, and it helped her immensely, right? Nathan, I knew at three years of age, four, I guess it was four, that he, and he was going to be going to pre-K. And I knew for anyone to make it through and not kill him, um, he was going to need to get on ADHD meds because he was absolutely the hyperactive and so I told Dr. Armstrong I thought he needed to get on it. And he's like, man, we don't usually put kids this young on it. I don't like to do that. Yeah. I said, I'm just telling you that he is never going to make it at school. They'll kick him out. Yeah. And he said, well, let me send you to Charleston. Let him get evaluated. So I took him down to Charleston and had to go in this doctor's office. And the doctor had a couch in there and a couple of chairs in front of his desk. And he was asking me a bunch of questions. And, um. So during the time, it was probably about 15 minutes worth of questions. Nathan was, of course, Nathan, and he was bouncing all all over creation. And at the end of when he got done asking me the question, he said, now they're going to take him and test him, and it'll take uh, a couple hours. And he said, "Um, and then, you know, we'll let you know the results. And uh, he said, but I can tell you after this 15 minutes, he's going to go on ADHD meds. (laughs) I said, I know. (laughs) So, but they also diagnosed him at that time with a borderline and I'm going to have to look this paperwork up it's not oppositional defiance disorder not ODD but it was something like that and he is absolutely that because even now and he's been this way for forever if I say Nathan you need to da 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 he immediately says no to me or pushes back at me yeah and I'm like you don't even you didn't even think about what I just said before you're saying no Right. I said, and what I said is good for you. Why are you pushing back at me? But it's what he does. And now that he's 12 and within these last six months, really, he's really started talking back and he never wants me like he won't be able to pick his clothes out in the morning, but he doesn't want me to do it. It makes him mad when I come in, when I get tired of him taking too long. And I come in and do it. Then he gets mad. I can pick out my own clothes. I'm like, well, then do it. You've been in here for 20 minutes talking about it. I said, I'm tired of listening to you. Make him do it before bed. Well, he does. They do. He's he's gotten a lot better about that. He's doing better about putting his clothes together. But but that's just, he's got that. And he gets in trouble. He's had lunch isolation three times already this year. Oh, no. Nathan doesn't really understand when to stop or when not to, like, he just wants to be doing what the other kids are doing, but they're smart enough to do it at the right time and not get caught. Well, he gets caught. Yeah. So he just doesn't think things through sometimes. But anyway, I'm, uh, 
you know, he's, he's very modest now too. He doesn't ever want you to see him without his clothes on or even with, you know, just underwear and a t-shirt on. He's like freaks out. And so he's definitely growing up. Um, but he has his set of, but he is the nicest boy. Like he's, he, so God, again, I always think everything's a God thing, right? Mm -hmm. So he gave us Kimmy and Nate and Kimmy has been the challenge to beat all challenges for me. Mm -hmm. But then Nathan has been the love, you know, he's Mm -hmm. given me the love like you, like he, he's bonded with me and he loves me. And he, if I didn't have that, I could have never stuck it out. Right. I don't think. And so I think God knows. I mean, of course, the Bible says he'll only give you what you can handle. And I think that's absolutely true. But I want someday when you all look back on your life with me, I hope that I know that you'll remember bad things. Mm -hmm. I know that you will. Right. Every kid does. You'll remember times that I hurt you. You'll remember times you hurt me. I mean, and you'll be sad about that. And I'm sad about the times that I did the wrong thing or that I didn't handle things correctly or that I wasn't a good role model for you. And that will be, if I have regrets, that'll be my biggest regret. Like I want you to be a really good parent. And what I really want you to remember is, do you remember the first 12 years of your life or a lot of it? Do you remember how life was before the kids? Do you remember that? Not really, to be honest. Yeah. That makes me sad because I was such a good mom to you then. I mean, I mean, yes, I do, but it's like not as, you know, clear. Right, right. Well, I remember things like even when you were just little or even like three, two, three, four, people would say, what a great baby and what a great kid you were. And they're like, you must be doing, you must be such a a good mom. And I'm like, well, she's just easy. It's not really me. And they're like, no, Gina, it's definitely, I mean, it's probably her temperament too, but it's you too. Well, I was very patient with you. I was, of course you were easy. It was easy. Right. And so it was good. And I never hardly had to get on you. And if I did, you just got it and we moved on and life was. And then when I got the kids and it was so hard and I was so stressed and I, and I would, I yelled way too much and I'm sad about that. And I, but I got to tell you, I still yell at the kids because they're still the same. I don't know if you remember this, but like, I'd be like, Hey, can you guys be quiet? Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, inside voices, please, you know, let's be quiet. And I might do that six times. Well, I know. I mean, I'm like, shut up. And then they'd shut up. Right? It was like, it's still like I have to yell at them sometimes for them to to react. I mean, I lived it, so I I know, too. I I did the same thing. I mean, and it's, I guess, a little bit different because I was also their sibling. But I feel like I was also an authority figure to them. So you were, yeah, because you were the older. But I just don't want you, I want you to know that's not the way. <laughs> if you cannot, I mean, I, I wish I could have parented them the way I parented you. I don't think it would have worked, though. Right. Because it wasn't like I didn't try. Right. Like, I really have tried every, everything. I want you guys to know how much I love you and how much I try to give you a good life. We do. And... Well, I hope so. I don't know. I worry about it. Some days I worry. I worry about how you're going to parent because we become our parents. We do. Yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have to worry about that. You have always been a great parent to me. And 
I feel like, you know, you're talking about God giving you Kimmy and Nathan for different reasons. I feel like he gave me to you for a lot of different reasons. And for sure. I don't know. Or I've always been, I guess I would say a little bit, well, definitely more patient than you. But (laughs) I don't know. I feel like we see things not a lot differently, but a lot differently in some ways. Right. We've been good for each other, I think. You may not think that right now. Like, I know you've definitely been good for me. I do think that. Yeah. Because I push you when you don't want to be pushed. Right. But um, you need it. Mm -hmm. And you make me see how crazy and stupid I am sometimes about stuff that doesn't matter. And I feel like you've always known what's important. And I tend to focus sometimes on things that aren't what's important. Mm -hmm. I remember your nanny just having such a hard time when I told her I wanted to have a baby through artificial insemination, right? Mm -hmm. She really, really struggled with it. And, but I, I know and will always never have any regrets or feel like it was in any way not right because, and I know mom doesn't, your nanny didn't think so either later, right? She right. just was worried. But um, God gave me the perfect daughter. And I know, I know you're not perfect. What I mean, you know, we all make mistakes and do things we wish we hadn't. But you are you were exactly the person I was supposed to get. And um, I love you. I love you too. I want to thank my mom so much for speaking with me today and going into depth on how our family of four came to be. If you wanted more information on Gina or our family, I put some extra information in the description. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at Fostered Hope Podcast and Fostered Hope on Facebook. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. Do something kind for someone this week. See ya!